good to be here. It's good to be preaching. This is the um, this is the the first time I've preached in front of live people. Most of you are masked, and so it's really awkward preaching to masked people. So I need you don't have to remove your mask, but if you could be very uh, uh, animated with your eyes, that would be really helpful for me, uh, just to get feedback. So this is the longest I've gone without preaching. I don't think I've preached since like February or March uh, to a live people like yourselves. Hi, everybody at home. But um, since probably 2003. So I feel really rusty, but we're just going to get after it. So if you have a Bible, would you open to Psalm 103? And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 6 and 7, but we'll start out, uh, we'll look at uh, the first seven verses uh, all total. So uh, it's, been, it's been a year. The pictures up there before uh, was of me preaching here last year. It was one of the background on one of the slides. It was me preaching a psalm last summer. And so it's been a year since I've been here, and it's been quite a year since I was last year. Uh, obviously, I feel like you got to say something about coronavirus and all this stuff, and this is the reality, and you're wearing masks. So I've just said all that. But it's almost like the only thing that could take that off the top of the, the headlines and the news and everything was uh, all this around racism and injustice. And so that kind of got stirred up and saw a lot of you all at a prayer uh, gathering uh, right when all this got started off in downtown Phoenix that a lot of the churches uh, got together and did. And uh, there's just been a lot, of, uh, a lot of talk around that. And it's been uh, even for our family as well. And so let me see, sorry, Kevin, am I good to, it says it's looking for my slides. You just go to the next slide. I don't know if I can control it or not. There you go. So that's, uh, this picture was from yesterday. So uh, six months or four months or however long it's been of being inside, indoors, on quarantine uh, has gotten to me. I turned 41 this summer and just decided to fully embrace my 41-year-old and start dressing like a grown-up, like a dad. And so I got these uh, white Monarch Nikes the other day. They're amazing with some socks to match. And then uh, Leslie said, we were going out yesterday, and Leslie said, she goes, you got to tuck your shirt in for this one. And so all the kids were super embarrassed to go, to go get in the car with me, but uh, I made them take this picture. So uh, a few stories about each one of these kiddos. Uh, and so the guy next to me in the blue shirt, uh, he's, uh, um, he came with us. He needed a place to stay uh, during spring break. He was having to leave the place that he was in. And so he's a 16-year-old young man, and so he came. We had an extra room, so he came and, and, and stayed with us just for a few days back in, over spring break. But the world fell apart right then, and he's still with us. And so he's been with us for the last four months and become a part of our family. And um, right when, when all this was happening with the, around the racism stuff and that conversation, um, he went and rode his bike to Target, about a mile from our house. He rode his bike over to Target. And, um, and was looking, my niece was having a, go, a birthday party for her, and we we're going to the birthday party for my niece, and uh, he only had like t-shirts and kind of not really anything dressy, and she wanted, it was her 18th birthday, she wanted us to get dressed up, so he's like, I don't have a dress shirt or anything. So he went to Target to get a dress shirt, rides his bike there, and found a shirt, we comes back, takes a shower, gets dressed, we get in the car, we're going uh, to the to, to her house, and I was like, dude, you look good. That's a nice-looking shirt. He's like, yeah, it took me so long to find. I didn't know, like, do I do a collar, a button-down, like, all buttons, no buttons, what, like, a pattern, what? It was pretty cute. He's, like, telling this whole story. He's like, and then I just, I realized, like, I've been here for, like, 
probably 20 minutes looking for a shirt, and I realized, man, they're probably thinking I'm stealing stuff. They're probably looking around, and, and so, like, I'm noticing, oh, all these people are, oh, that's probably a, that's probably a, a plainclothes security guard, and, and I realized it was, and I realized, like, they probably think I'm stealing something, and he's like, so I just grabbed a shirt, and I went, and, and, and he's like, so that was just a story. He's just kind of telling it matter of fact, and what crushed me, what rocked me is, so he's 16, my other son over here, David, in the green, he is 13, and I realized David gets on his bike, rides over to Target anytime he wants. David could be sitting there for two hours. And whether or not anybody thinks he's stealing anything, it would never occur to David that someone would think he's stealing something. It would never occur to him. And it just kept playing this out of my head. And I just started seeing all these other scenarios, all these other situations where there's, because of the color of his skin, there's a difference in how they interact with the world. And uh, uh, I talked about that. We went, to a, uh, we went to that prayer gathering downtown where we got together with, a, it seemed like a couple thousand people to, to pray outside of the state capitol. And uh, when we were getting ready to go down there, I was sitting with David in the green shirt. And I just said, dude, here's what we're doing. We're going to go down there. We're not exactly sure what it's going to look like. We're just going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to be there. Because it's really important for us as like a mostly white church led by white people in this moment to be there to show solidarity. It really matters because a lot of times in our culture, Christians are, especially like white evangelical Christians, like we're, you don't know what that means, but I'm like, Christians are seen as being racist. And he like looks at me, he's like, wait, what? Why? That's what he's like, why? And I was like, how do I explain? And for him, he's just like, why? We're the ones who care about protecting people and caring for people and serving people. And it was interesting. I was like, so that got in my head. I'm like, why is there, like the fact that Christians wouldn't be for justice, for caring for people was messed up in his head. And then, uh, last word, Kaylee in the tie-dye, uh, she's 14, and uh, on a few weeks ago on Juneteenth, uh, that, uh, if you remember that, on Juneteenth, I think it was June 19th, uh, a Friday, uh, we had fasted as a family and then sat down and just sat together and just wanted, and talk, watched a video and talked about Juneteenth, this celebration of the, the end of slavery, the official end of slavery, and all this. And, uh, and so we we're talking about how, like, racism, it's not just like individuals could be racist, but like it's in the system, it's in the wall, in a history. And Kaylee just has the, she asked this question that was really profound, really. She just said, so am I, am I a racist? How do you answer that question? Because I want to say, I know her heart, I know her, and I know how she, I've seen her relate with people of all different ethnicities, and I know there's something there. Like, I want to say, no, you're not. And I also want to say, man, but Kaylee, you're, you benefit from a system where it's baked in. And you live in a culture that isn't the way God intends it to be. And so I really wrestled with, how do you, how do you respond to each of the three of these as they're talking through it? And it's really been a, a long couple months. We just got back from a week vacation and spending some good time with the kids and really wrestling with how do you think that through this stuff. And all this to say, I'm really thankful. There's almost a sense where like, it's just been really heavy and it's been, been wrestling with it. And almost just a sense of like, gosh, I'm ready to be done wrestling with that. Like it's been a long couple months. 
thinking through this, sitting in this, not just with my kids, but with our congregation and other churches. And so I was really thankful when Kevin asked me to preach and said Psalm 103. And, and I'm like, Psalm 103, that's the gospel. And so there's a sense, I was like, good, okay, we can just get back to the gospel. And let's just focus on that. And I think that'd be really good for our hearts. And so uh, with that, if you'd read with me in Psalm 103, I love this. I just want to review what you guys have looked at the last few weeks, and then we'll get to verses six and seven. But enough with kind of social justice, enough with some of these other topics. I think it's really good for us as followers of Jesus to get back to the gospel. Praise the Lord, my soul, it says in verse one. Praise the Lord, my soul. Okay, enough talking about injustice, talking about other things, talking about system structures, all this other stuff. Let's just get, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Okay, me and, me and Jesus, me and God. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So let's talk about the benefits of the gospel. Who forgives all your sins, verse 3. Amen. I was thankful, I'm thankful for that verse, who forgives all your sins, especially after the freaking confession that Kevin just made us say, which like literally got at all of our sins. And heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. See, this is good. This is why I'm glad you guys are getting back to this, to the, to the gospel. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And as I'm standing there looking like a, a dad, recognizing my age as everything and all the muscles in my body hurt and my back hurts, but to know that my youth is renewed like the eagles. So it's good that we're in Psalm 103 and we can just get back to the gospel. And then I looked at the verse that Kevin gave me. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Well, what's that doing there? What is verse 6 doing in the middle of Psalm 103? A passage that is about the gospel, about me and God and my relationship with him. But then verse 6 jumps in here. I thought we were going to get away from all this racism stuff. I thought we were going to get away from this justice. I thought we didn't have to be social justice warriors anymore. I thought we didn't have to answer these hard questions that all my kids are asking me. And then you get verse 6 right here. I, I wish you could have just given me, if I hadn't been on vacation last week, I think I was supposed to preach the week before, and I could have had something nice with God satisfies the desires with good things. But no, I get stuck here. i got to come back and keep wrestling with these questions of racism and justice. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. How can that be? Why is that? Here's my question, and I love dialogue and sermons. This is like my favorite thing. And I was like, can you do that when people are masked up? And Kevin's like, you got like one at most in you. Because y'all have already been wearing masks for the last 40 minutes trying to sing. And that's awkward. If you got a bad mask like me, it like sucks on your face. But I know it's claustrophobic. I know it's awkward. But I would love for you guys, just for a couple minutes, would you wrestle with this question? And you may not have a good answer right away. Or you may not even like, I think this might be the wrong answer, but I'm just going to try it. But we just turn to a couple of people around you and ask it like, why is this, why is there, I thought we were just going to get to the gospel. 
and get away from this justice of like, why is this here? How does it, how do those two things interact and relate? Are they supposed to be together? Can we just get to just the gospel? How does that work? How do you think about that? How do you make sense of that? Turn to a couple of people around you and just wrestle with that question for a second. Ready? Go. So there's a, so let me, let me try to take a shot at this and why I think there's something in us that wants to say, like kind of put these two things apart. And I think it's several misunderstandings. I think there's several misunderstandings. There are kind of these things that happen. I find it happening in myself and I find it happening uh, in so many of us in, in American evangelicalism. And so uh, a few misunderstandings. So the first, we misunderstand reality. Here's, here's what I mean by that. When I say we misunderstand reality, most of us, this, if I can kind of draw this with my hands, that we have like this line, this hard line going across right here that can't be, that can't be, nothing can get through it. And so there's this line and then up here is like spiritual things and, uh, and like religious things, faith and values, Christianity. And then down here under the line are things like politics and justice and, 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 uh, and, and science and stuff like that. And so you have things up here that are maybe upstairs. And, and those are the things that we ought to be talking about here. And that's when we say, we want to get to the gospel. Like, I want to talk about that. Me and Jesus, my faith, my spirituality. I want to talk about that. And it feels like justice is down below the line. And that's things we talk about other places. And, it's a, and, and our view of reality is that there's an upstairs and the downstairs. And maybe even what we're trying to do in being more spiritual, being more Christian people is think less downstairs stuff and more upstairs. Like maybe if through listening to enough sermons or singing enough songs or praying enough prayers or doing enough good deeds by serving uh, within the foster care system through Care Portal, et cetera, et cetera, maybe if I can do that, I can, can get better up here. Like these are up here things and then there's down there. This is the problem. That we're misunderstanding reality because what I just painted for you where there's an upstairs, a downstairs, and a hard line, there's this, the, the, where you get that from is this guy, he lived a long time ago, and his name was Plato. And here's the problem. That's Plato's way of seeing reality, of seeing the world. And it is because of the, the world we live in, because of the culture we live in over the last thousands of years that has largely adopted Plato's view of reality that becomes our reality. And we look at things that way. But here's the problem. People like Moses and David and Isaiah and Jesus and Paul and Peter, none of them looked at the world through that lens. None of them saw reality that way. So here's the problem. When we start reading our Bible, reading scripture, thinking about our faith that way, we're looking at it through a different lens than they were looking at it. And the most, the, the most interesting is Jesus. Jesus didn't look at it upstairs, downstairs. But Jesus saw that the world is God's. Everything is God's. There's not an upstairs, downstairs. It's God and everything else. And God comes down. God comes to us. That's theology in a nutshell. God has come down. And we are one with him. And so, and, and the better way of thinking of reality, those of you who have been around Missio for any amount of time, I'm sure you know those six symbols. 
A better way to think about it is those six symbols of creation, rebellion, the promise that God's doing something, redemption in Christ. We now find ourselves in the church as God's people now sent out until finally he returns again. Think of those six symbols and see those, instead of seeing upstairs slash downstairs, see God's moving history towards something, towards a purpose. And we get to be a part of that. We misunderstand reality, we misunderstand, which makes us misunderstand the Bible. We see the Bible as bits and pieces, little things coming down from up here to help us get back up there instead of seeing the Bible as one unfolding story, which makes us misunderstand the gospel. See, then the gospel becomes those things about how, as I'm living down here in the midst of things, the gospel becomes the things I need to know, I need to believe so that I can get up there rather than seeing a full-orbed gospel of the kingdom. That God created the world, this is his creation, this is my father's world, this is his world, and human beings have jacked it up by rebelling against him. But God, in his mercy and his grace and his justice and his righteousness, is using human beings to fix his world. And he called Abram, and Abram became a great nation, and that became Israel, and Israel, but they messed it up as well. Until it got boiled down to one true faithful Israelite, one son of Abram, and his name was Jesus. And so the gospel is the good news that the way God is restoring his world, the way that God is, as N.T. Wright says, putting the world to rights, in, in the midst of our of our rebellion and our sinfulness is through Jesus. That in Jesus' death and resurrection, the gospel means good news. The good news of the kingdom is that the kingdom has been inaugurated in Jesus' death and resurrection, and it will one day finally be consummated and be fulfilled. We'll sing that new song finally fully one day when Jesus returns. That's the good news. That's the good news of events that have happened, and it, contains, it pertains to everything. And then, because of that, then we, which makes us misunderstand God's mission. God's mission is never to pluck individuals out of his creation and get them up there to heaven somewhere. God's mission is the redemption, even the restoration of his creation and his people. And then, which makes us misunderstand our role in God's mission. Makes us misunderstand our role in God. I know for myself, I think, okay, let me get back to God's mission. Let me get back to, to preaching the gospel so that people get, and that's, that's a part of it. But our role in God's mission is less about something we do and more about who we are. It's first about who we are. We are a people who embody the good news of the kingdom through our lives, through our actions, through our life together, and through our words. And we're, the reason we gather together and do this is because we want to be reminded of that story, reminded of the gospel, inspired by that, and we're reminded of what God's doing in the world and then our role in that. I know Kevin said I only had one opportunity to ask you a question. I want to send you back in. If you were, this is one more personal confession. If you were to say like one of those, reality, Bible, gospel, God's mission, our role in God's mission, one of them is like, when I said that, when you saw it's like, Oh, I think I, that's the one I tend to. That's the one I tend to miss. That's the one I tend to misunderstand. I think if I just had to pick one, 
Which one would it be? I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Just turn to your neighbor and, and say that one and maybe why. Ready, go. And now with that 23-minute introduction, give me three minutes to walk through these two verses. Verse 6, the Lord. The Lord, you should know that when it says L-O-R-D in your Bible, and it's especially the Old Testament, it's all capitalized, that's Yahweh. It's not just... It's not just random God, it's Yahweh as opposed to Baal or Molech or the other gods of the other nations. But it's a specific God. John Calvin, in, uh, in his Institutes, in the, the first chapter of his Institutes, he has this statement. He says, uh, the question is, who is the God with whom we have to do? That's the question we need to ask. We're not just talking about some, some arbitrary God or some idea of God that's, again, that stands up here above history. We're not down here in history, down here on earth, trying to figure out who's this God up here and just kind of this idea of God and his perfectionist. It's not, don't get out of that mindset. We're in this story. Who is the God with whom we have to do as we live and take up our role in this world? And his name is Yahweh. He's revealed himself in the Old Testament as Yahweh and he's revealed himself most perfectly through his son, Jesus. The Lord, that God, Yahweh, that God, how he works, he works Righteousness and justice for all, righteousness and justice. Uh, those two words, uh, sometimes righteousness we think of as kind of a gas that we need to get on us, kind of hovers around and we need to get this gas of righteousness on us so that we can be pure and better. But really, um, something about Hebrew poetry, you might have seen this already, uh, is that the two f- phrases in, in a line, they'll re- basically be saying the same thing together. So when it says, the Lord works righteousness, Justice for all the oppressed. Righteousness and justice in the Hebrew are, are quite synonymous. They share a lot of overlap meaning. And so really getting it for who? For all the oppressed. That's interesting. He does this for all the oppressed. Um, Andy Crouch, I love this. He's ta- talking about what does it look like for kind of social teaching? How do we care for other people. He says, you can sum it up in this phrase. The, what we're after is the flourishing of the vulnerable in community. Isn't that a good phrase? Every one of those words. So the flourishing, we want everyone to be able to flourish because God created his world that there would be flourishing within it. The flourishing, what we should be after is the, fl- why does care portal matter so much? I ain't going to get a soft sell, bro. You're going to get a hard sell right here. Why does care portal matter? Because we're looking to help the, vul- this is a vulnerable population and we want to help them be able to flourish and do it in community. So the flourishing of the vulnerable in community. The Lord cares about, he wants righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And you can think about in your missional communities, who are the, who are the oppressed? Who are the people that need righteousness and justice worked? And what does that look like for us? And then it says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. What God did, uh, Chris Wright in his book, Mission of God, he says that, he has a whole chapter that says basically the Exodus. So what it says there, he he made made this known to the people back then, to to those people, to, to Moses. He's talking about the Exodus. What God did in taking his people who were enslaved in Egypt, they'd been there for 400 years outside of the promised land. And he took these people who were the oppressed. They were enslaved. And he worked righteousness and justice for them. 
because there was a whole, it wasn't just that they, they were slaves. There was this whole system in Egypt of slavery that benefited off them and that Pharaoh had set up and all this. And so they're enslaved and God works righteousness and justice. That's what he does in history. And that's what he continues to do because that's who he is and that's his character. But Chris Wright says that the Exodus is a model for Christ's redemption. In the same way that God rescued his people out of slavery in the Old Testament, he used Moses to rescue them from slavery. They were worshiping and having to serve Pharaoh and their gods, and he wanted them to come out to be able to worship him. So God, through Jesus, enables us to come out and to worship him. And just to tie this up, I would say this. As God cares about, we can't divorce this from the gospel. We can't get away from this. But I wonder if for us it would be helpful, just as the psalmist here of Psalm 103 says, God works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, and then he uses the illustration of the Exodus. I wonder if it'd be helpful for us to find ourselves in the midst of that story as well. And and what if we found ourselves, God has rescued us in a marvelous way uh, through the first 14 chapters of Exodus. And in Exodus 15, we've listened to Moses and then Miriam sing their songs of redemption on the, the shores on the other side of the Red Sea where Moses and Miriam sing this song of worship, of celebration that God, you have rescued us and now they enter into the to the wilderness for 40 years. And you know what happens there at Meribah. You know what happens throughout the wilderness. They start complaining. And imagine we're there in the midst of the wilderness. And there's some, there's some that want to go back to Egypt. Remember that? They say, remember when we were in Egypt, at least we had meat to eat. Hey, remember when in Egypt, slavery, it wasn't that bad. Now this, um, I'm not saying that necessarily people are actually saying this, but let me just tell you, um, gosh, I wish we could not record this part. I'm just going to say it anyway. I'm just going to be like, as I've been talking to African-American brothers and sisters, actually record this, I'm happy to say this. As I've been talking to, to, to other pastors, friends, uh, African-American, when they hear things like make America great again, what they hear, whether you mean it or not, what they hear is go back to Egypt. Go back to the good old days when slavery, Jim Crow. Whether that's what's meant or not, what does it mean to love your neighbor when that's what's heard? And I wonder if that's actually what's meant more than some of us are willing to admit. But there's another, and I think this is where I find my heart wanting to stay too often is to be like, hey, at least we're not in slavery anymore. At least we're not in Egypt. I mean, that was really bad. That was really bad, but we're not, Pharaoh, like his army's been wiped out. Remember the Red Sea thing? We're not under Pharaoh's thumb anymore. I mean, we got manna. He's given us that, for goodness sake. A quail came, I mean, it's coming out of our nostrils, but like, at least we got that. This ain't that bad. Why are we complaining? What's the big deal? It's not slavery. It's not Jim Crow.
where I want us to be. The majority of us in here and the majority of I suppose that are watching on Facebook, the majority of us are white. But as we deal with this issue of injustice in our culture, I wonder if for us we could be not people who are saying, hey, let's go back. Not people who are just saying, hey, it's not that bad anymore. It's, a lot, it's gotten a lot better. I wonder if we could be people who as a sun rises over the Jordan and we catch a glimpse of that land flowing with milk and honey. Like I wonder if our imaginations could catch a sunrise glimpse of the land flowing with milk and honey and realizing that's where we need to be headed. There's somewhere else. There's somewhere more. There's something better. There's somewhere we want to go and we want that. That's the vision. That's a vision of the promised land. And that's as we find ourselves not in upstairs, downstairs, but we find ourselves taking our role in God's story. We're always moving forward. We're never going back. We're always going forward towards God's new creation, towards what God is doing. And we're wanting to see it become more and more aligned with his kingdom and with the flourishing that it ought to be. Martin Luther King Jr. had that vision. If you ever read uh, his I Have a Dream speech, it's incredible. And there's so many lines in there that, that you hear often. I have a dream that one day my children, and he goes on and on. But listen to these. Let me uh, just show you these two. I don't know if you can read this or not, but these two paragraphs that I want to mostly end with this. He says this, We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to distrust all white people. For many of our white brothers and sisters, as evidenced by their presence here today, this has been my prayer for us as Missio, for all of our Missio congregations. That what Martin Luther King Jr. talked about here in 1963, that, that what he says right there, in that line right there, for many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, that that would be us. That whatever, and, and King has been shot, he is not here anymore, so he's not, and, and, and that generation, another uh, leader of that generation died yesterday. But there's a new generation of people who are crying out and are leading and are saying stuff. And so how do we be present there with them? That we would be those people, evidenced by our presence here today, listen to this, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. They have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. My prayer for us as we sit in Psalm 103, verse 6, saying that the Lord, Yahweh, the God with whom we have to deal, that he works, he works, he works, 
He works. It's him. It's his work. It's his mission. He's in charge. He works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. In this moment, in this place, in this time that the Lord has put us here today, this is the oppressed. This is the issue. This is where we need to stand and where we need to be present. And we'll be faithful as a congregation and as three congregations of Missio, would we be faithful to find our place faithfully in the story? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who is not silent. You are a God who does not turn uh, your face away from those who are oppressed, from those who are hurting, from those uh, who violence is done against them. But we thank you that you are a God who is intimately involved and you are a God who works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. We pray, Lord, that you would do that in our place at this time and that you would show us what our role is in that. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we sing this next song, I want to welcome you to the table. The table of the communion table is open. It's, uh, Kevin, if I'm right, it's juice only in the back. And so there's juice, and uh, I just invite you over the next song or two to take your time so we don't crowd back there. Uh, But you can go and you can receive that on your own and take it on your own tonight. But it's really important because in the midst of that story, on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he met with his disciples. And he took the bread as he shared this meal with them, and he he held it up, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we get to be a part of doing this in remembrance of him. We find our role in the story. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup shed for the, uh, the forgiveness of sins. Take this, drink this, and we get to drink that as well. And so in some way, the Lord is present here with us as we take this. As we go out into the world to pursue justice and righteousness for all the oppressed as God does and following in his character, would be people who are nourished by his presence as we come to the table. Amen.